Today is Thursday, August 4th. This is the Just Baseball Show. Jack McMullen, not Peter Apple. He's taking tonight to um, get his uh, get his studio apartment in Manhattan just kind of set up and good to go. So I recruited good buddy, managing editor at Just Baseball, Ryan Finkelstein, and we're going to talk about contenders and what they did at the trade deadline. Fink is the host of Locked On Mets. We're going to talk about the Mets, but we're pretty much going to fly through every team that can plausibly make a run at a pennant and a World Series win. We're going to look at what they did um, during the trade deadline and then decide if they actually improved or just kind of stagnated. Because I think we saw a lot of teams that didn't make as many moves as we were thinking. Obviously, one team just kind of trumped all in terms of the trade deadline headlines. But there were a lot of teams that were a bit more quiet than we were expecting, right? It's funny because I remember, like, I think it was John Paul Morosi. He, he, like, tweeted out, like, 48 hours before the deadline. This is going to be the craziest deadline ever. It really wasn't, right? Like, there was the Juan Soto trade in the morning, and then it just kind of sat there, and there just there wasn't as much movement as we thought. You know, Wilson Contreras, Ian Hapstang put, and, yeah. you know, like, the Tigers. I mean, we could talk about some of those teams, like, just not selling. I don't know if it's the sellers didn't, you know, or set the prices too high or the buyers uh, you know, just didn't want to push their chips all the way in. But it's like there was a big game of chicken around the league. And I look up now and I'm like, outside of a select few teams, the Yankees, the Padres, the Twins, maybe the Mariners, there hasn't been wholesale changes with really a, a lot of these contenders, honestly. A lot of these contenders. I'm with you. And like, you know, yes, Soto dominated the headlines. Understandably so. It is the biggest, according to Tim Kirchin, who, you know, just got enshrined in Cooperstown, Totally believe everything Tim Kirchin says. According to Tim Kirchin, the biggest deal in Major League Baseball history. Obviously, you can look back at the Babe Ruth sale from the Red Sox to the Yankees, but that was a player sale. That was not a trade. And you're not getting Mackenzie Gore and Robert Hassel and a 6'7", 250 low-A guy that hits nukes in James Wood in return for Babe Ruth. You got it for Juan Soto. Um, and it, just watching the scenes a couple minutes ago before we hopped on to record late night on Wednesday, I mean, that ballpark, Petco Park, with Soto making his debut, with Bell making his debut, with Drury making his debut, with the Grand Slam, I mean, that place was insane. It was yeah. lit up. So you have some teams that invigorated their fan bases, and then you've got other teams like my White Sox, that pissed him off because the big move was swapping Reese McGuire for Jake Diekman. Like there were a lot of teams to just kind of function like that. And I'm with you. And I'm glad you brought up that JP Morosi tweet because yeah, the big moves were really big, but Pablo didn't move. Uh, Wilson and Hap didn't move. There were a couple other guys that just kind of stayed put. Um, and it was really weird, but we're going to hop into the contenders. Um, First and foremost, and we'll get to the Mets uh, in the back half of this, we'll go AL by division, then we'll go NL by division. Are you happy with what the Mets did? It was Vogelbach, uh, and then it was a couple other minor moves right at the deadline, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I like the Vogelback Darren Ruff platoon. I actually think that that's a lot better than people really understand it to be because you're just seeing a couple of guys. And I, I think fans look at the wholesale numbers and like, man, this guy's not that good. But if you remove the bad half of their platoon, if you take the, the left-handed, you know, facing lefties out of Vogelback, facing righties out of Ruff stats, it's a really good player that they got together when you combine them. So <laughs> I thought that was good. Uh, I thought it was funny today that Michael Givens makes his Mets debut. And the entire narrative yesterday was they did not do enough to address their bullpen. And the one guy they get gives up five runs in his debut. Oh. So I was actually not even checking Twitter today. I don't want to see what kind of meltdown Mets fans were having. But I think overall they did enough. And I also watched Jacob DeGrom pitch on a big league mound last night. So that's yeah. kind of something that I think uh, is a big, big story that comes out of the deadline. That's not a trade here. Okay, so before we start with the Yankees, Jacob DeGrom on a big league mound, third pitch he threw was 102, painted lower outside corner. I So there are two ways to look at that. There are two schools of thought. Number one is, oh my God, the king is back. And I'm sure that's how you felt. Number two for me was, I'm trying to think about how many bullets Jacob DeGrom has left. And I see 102 on the black in his first appearance of the season on his third pitch. I'm terrified because I feel yeah. like something is going to tweak. We've talked about it on this show. I don't think the human body is is structured, is developed over generations to throw 102 miles an hour constantly as a starting pitcher. Like when you saw 102 painted, what did you feel? Well, I mean, look, as a fan, my gut reaction was just like, one, did that actually say 102? Yeah. And I am so happy he's back. But yeah, every single pitch, you're kind of wincing like, ah, what's going to happen here? The thing about Jacob deGrom is when he started throwing harder, and this is, again, we're talking about, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, it's, it keeps on climbing every single year. And last year was, I mean, the, the most of it, where every single pitch seemed to be 99 plus with this fastball. What he was saying is that, he has trusted his mechanics more and that has allowed for more velocity. Now, I don't know how to feel about him with the adrenaline spike and throwing one or two. I think you have to think maybe that's a little bit of him, you know, kind of getting carried away, but I don't know. You watch him pitch and it doesn't look like he's muscling up. It's right. the, it's absolute, you know, pristine mechanics. It's perfect. And I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where I'm just hoping that, um, if I'm optimistic enough, he'll stick around for the rest of the season and be healthy because the, the idea of Scherzer and DeGrom, I still don't think that we've fully comprehended what's that that's going to mean for this Mets team. Yeah, I've seen a couple of videos from you on Twitter that you put out with like this maniacal laugh after the Mets do something great or somebody else like just combusts. I remember that it was that that Mets come back against the Phillies and you just put out this insane laugh. When I see Scherzer on Monday, DeGrom on Tuesday, does that warrant a maniacal laugh from you? It does. It absolutely does. I don't know if I could just do it on command, but I'll tell you, <laughs> the thing that gets me really excited, you got a five-game series Mets-Braves coming up. This is huge. I mean, talk yeah. about division at stake here. And the final two games of that series, or at least Saturday's a doubleheader, so one of those three. Scherzer's going to start on Saturday, one of the games of the doubleheader. DeGrom starts Sunday. That's the advantage you have now. I mean, here you are going head to head against your division rival and you got two of the greatest pitchers of this generation to, to try to close out a series victory. That's where the Mets are different than any team in baseball right now. Yeah, I think so too. And the Yankees tried to move to make that happen. Obviously we saw Garrett Cole suck yesterday. He allowed six runs in the first inning. We'll start with the Yankees. And again, we're going to go through every team that we think is plausible to make it out of the American or National League and get to the Fall Classic. 
We'll start with what the Yankees did at the deadline. And we're just going to look like surface level what's going on with these guys. Because I'm going to let Javier Reyes on the back half of this episode try and whip me into a frenzy on the Padres. Um, But we'll start with the Yankees. Frankie Montas was the big fish that they landed. Um, Andrew Benintendi, a couple days before that, found a really intriguing swap between them and St. Louis. Jordan Montgomery to St. Louis for Harrison Bader, who's on the shelf right now, but should be back before the end of the season. Um, You also had Lou Trevino in the uh, Frankie Montas deal. And then you also get Joey Gallo out of town. You get Clayton Beater in return, who is uh, a starting pitching prospect that was in the Dodgers system, probably with a lot more relief risk than some other of those top flight Dodgers pitchers. But overall, adding Benny, adding Montas, adding Trevino, uh, and adding a guy like Bader when he's healthy, you feel like the Yankees got better? Yeah, I think so. You know, Sam Lucchini did a really good article for us today talking about Ben Benintendi's fit in that lineup. And it makes a lot of sense because you're trading Gallo for Benny. Obviously, Benny's having a a much better season. We know that he was an all-star, but it's the on base. It's hitting for a high average. And what do you need when you have these sluggers? Do you really need another guy that's home run walker strikeout like Gallo? Or do you want a guy that's standing on first base when Aaron Judge hits that home run? I think that's more valuable to this team. I think that was a huge addition. Obviously, Montes is the big, you know, swing that they make at the deadline. That's the biggest move to get another frontline starter that helps them a bunch. Um, and I, like you said, Bader's even a solid move as well. It's not something that's gonna, you know, really move the needle too much. If that was all they did, you would think, okay, that's an underwhelming deadline, like a lot of these teams. But as a little throw-in at the end, I like Bader's game. I think he is a guy that'll play up, you know, for a contender can do a lot for you. I, I've been watching this year on the Mets side, someone like Travis Jankowski who just got DFA'd. Yeah. When you have a roster, I think that fourth outfielder giving you speed and defense is what you want now. So Bader gives you that in spades. I think this is a really nice uh, deadline for Cashman for sure. I think so too. I think they um, wanted to emphasize not striking out and uh, some speed and defense. And I, I think they got that offensively with yeah. Bader and with Benintendi. With Montas, you add that front line number two. He was a one, and he was a very competent one in Oakland. Garrett Cole obviously really struggled. Garrett Cole has a mid-three ZRA right now, but I don't think anybody can look me in the eye and make the argument that Garrett Cole is not the ace of a staff. Garrett Cole is one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's making north of $300 million. There was a reason he signed that $300 million deal. So Lining up Cole and Montas with Nestor Cortez, Jamison Tyone to follow. Um, the Seve injury hurts. Doesn't sound like Seve's done. Do you feel like that is a World Series capable rotation as currently constructed without Severino? Here's the thing, because I'm, I'm thinking about it in my head right now. And on paper and based on what they've done this year, absolutely. But... I look at them and just go through the matchups against the Astros in a series. I still think that Houston has the edge. Like I, I were you the one who, who was talking about how the Astros should be the favorites? That was you, right? Yeah. That was your take. It's yeah. a good take, man. I think the Astros are the favorites and I mean, I don't want to transition right into them, but you're talking about what they did at the deadline. Mancini's swing with the Crawford boxes. I it's perfect. That was such a good pickup to, to really boost that lineup. And yeah, if you stack up rotations, I like the Astros a little bit more, but the Yankees did enough here where, I mean, they should be able to, obviously they're winning the division, but they should be able to to kind of breeze to the championship series, you would think. We're preaching. It's you, me, and Aram against Peter right now with the Astros versus Yankee debate. And I'm totally he has no bias there at all. No, no bias, bias at all. We're going to work geographically from east to west. Yes, yes. Um, I'm going to mess up north and south at some point. 
Um, but we will start by working a little bit farther west, and we're going to go north of the border. Toronto is the only other team in the AL East that I really want to talk about because I don't think Tampa and Boston are really worth our time because I don't think that they have a real shot to make it out. But knowing what Toronto's offense just did in the month of July, I think we'd be insane not to consider them a possibility of making it out of the American League just because the offense can get that hot. They added a really interesting name offensively, and that was the big pickup for them. They added a couple of relievers from the Marlins, um, and they added Mitch White from the Dodgers. But it was Whit Merrifield that was really the big pickup for them at the deadline. And the other wrinkle that I wasn't quite sure about was apparently Toronto said that the vaccination thing was up to Whit Merrifield. Like, he might just be a road player a la Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn, which doesn't make any sense to me. He said a couple weeks ago that he would be open to getting vaccinated if it meant that he could play for a contender. Here you are, Wit. You're playing for a contender. Let's see if you get the shot. If he does get the shot, what does Wit Merrifield do for the Blue Jays' offense? He is, I think, one of the most interesting players that moved to this deadline because you look at what he did this year or what he's done this year, and it's not very impressive. But we know the track record and what he can bring to a winning team. I'm really curious how this change of scenery is going to work out for him. I think that he has obviously all the potential to really change things for this Blue Jays team. But also you're looking at a guy that, you know, is in the latter half of his career here. Who knows what they're going to get? And we see sometimes it's not easy to be a, a trade deadline acquisition and to just hit the ground running. It's it's not always Brandon Drury hitting a grand slam when you're first at bat. Okay. That, that doesn't always happen. So I think it can go either way, but honestly, Looking at what they did at the deadline overall, compared to the Yankees, compared to the Twins, some of the other teams in the American League, I'm a little underwhelmed with what the Blue Jays actually pulled off here. I'm kind of underwhelmed, too. I was hoping that they would go get pitching because obviously we know that pitching is the bugaboo. And, you know, you you extended Jose Barrios big time. Um, I, I, like Kikuchi is struggling. Ryu is out. Manoa is obviously great. Gosman took a step back over the last month and a half, two months. Um, I think Gosman's going to be fine, and he just had a great start earlier this week. So we'll see how the pitching holds up, um, but I'm with you. Like, I wish they just did more. A team that did a lot, the Minnesota Twins, they really hit it. They hit it well. They got Jorge Lopez, the all-star from the Orioles, to bolster that bullpen. They got Tyler Malley from Cincinnati. They gave up some serious prospects. Spencer Steer went back to Cincinnati, and we love Spencer Steer, just baseball. But, I mean, adding a guy like Lopez to be your closer and move Yoan Duran, who's had an excellent season, to your setup role, and then have Malley slide in as the two behind Sonny Gray, I think Minnesota got a lot better when Cleveland and the White Sox did absolutely nothing. Absolutely. I think it's interesting that for one, that they kind of prioritize the closer first to get Lopez. I think that was a really nice pickup because I think they weren't sure if they were going to get a starter. And then you end up getting one in Mali, very similar to me to the Sonny Gray acquisition, both coming, you know, from that Reds team guys that I think, you know, have more upside than maybe people kind of realize when, when they're playing in, in pitchers ball or hitters ballparks like citizens bank, obviously with Mali, that's always been the story. Wasn't yeah. there a third edition too? Did they get another pitcher that I'm, that I'm, I'm blanking on. I feel like there was one more. Minnesota got uh, Lopez. They got Mali. There might have been one more. more. I'll pull it up. I I, I got it because we're we're uh, we can pump out an article this week on Friday. We're gonna do grades for every single team. And I was uh you know doing the, some of the prep work on that. I know there was three three names that I had in there. 
All right, here we go. We got uh Oh, we got Michael oh, Fulmer. There we go. Michael Fulmer. Yeah. Yeah, so Fulmer is another good pickup for that bullpen. And they got the catcher, Sandy Leon, which was obviously not much of a move, but <laughs> uh, a little extra backup catcher. I, I really like all the pitching they brought in. Um, this is a team that should win this division now, particularly, like you said, with what the other two teams didn't do. Yeah, I think so, too. And, like, that division was so wide open. And Minnesota was a very flawed leader in that division. So I was thinking if the White Sox made the move from the for the left-handed corner outfield bat, I was thinking, just offer up whatever you have for Jock Peterson. If this White Sox roster had Jock Peterson, we'd be talking about the White Sox as like the shoe-in for the odds-on favorite to win the division. If yeah. Cleveland went and got Sean Murphy, we're talking about this team as a sleeper to like kind of make it deep in the postseason because what of what they can do. Minnesota was always, eh, I don't know. They addressed every spot that there were insecurities at, and the White Sox and the Guardians did not do that. Um, moving to the AL West. Trey Mancini, you mentioned, match made in heaven with the Crawford boxes. Christian Vasquez, as a platoon catcher with Martin Maldonado, they'll split time, was an amazing pickup. I found the Will Smith for Jake Odorizzi deal with uh, Atlanta to be very interesting. You get a guy who can be a closer. You're not asking him to be a closer. You're asking him to be a setup or a seventh inning guy. Um, and I think that that works really effectively I think this team just made themselves the favorites in the American League, like we were talking about. Yeah, I think they probably were maybe the favorites before, but now even more so. I mean, you you pull you know Yuli Gurriel out of the lineup, put Trey Mancini in there. It's a huge, huge difference. And I was just looking at Mancini's spray chart at Minute Maid compared to you know his games this year, and I was counting like fourteen more home runs. I don't know. I know the expected home run metric doesn't have it quite that much, where suddenly he'd be like a twenty-five home run hitter, but he certainly would have a lot more than whatever he had nine or whatever it was this season. So you, yeah. you put him into that ballpark, you put him in the middle of that lineup. It just makes them that much scarier. That's a really deep team right now. And I think the Vasquez pickup is, is really great too. I mean, not many teams were able to, to kind of make a swing like that to get two impact starters. That That's, that's big time. Big time. And I also love that Vasquez shit on Heim Bloom and within 48 hours, he was a Houston Astro. He was just switching clubhouses at Minute Maid Park. It was great. Last team in the American League that I want to touch on quick. Um, we've talked about the Luis Castillo deal on this show. There were other sneaky deals that went through. Um, Travis Jankowski was a waiver claim, which I found really interesting. He's not going to get legitimate at-bats, but he will get some at-bats um, in the final two months of the season. I thought Jake Lamb was a really interesting pickup in a trade with the Dodgers. Um, and then they also got Kurt Casale. Casale was another guy and apparently a clubhouse guy. So Castillo was the big one. I think they just got a bunch of clubhouse guys. Um, you think they got deeper? Do you think this is the same Mariners team that we were talking about right after they traded for Castillo? I don't know if they've done too much more to kind of move the needle. The other move was Matt Boyd, you know, a left-handed pitcher. So they made moves. I think that's good to, to add to your depth. I've been watching Jankowski all year. He's going to give you defense and speed. I wouldn't want him to take too many at bats. Uh, you know, he's not going to hit for him very much. Jake Lamb's always the guy that you feel like can get hot and yeah. actually surprise you for a month. So if they get lucky, maybe they get that out of him. Uh, the the bottom line to me is Castillo. I mean, yeah. I know we've talked about it, I'm sure on the show, but you add him to that team with Robbie Ray. You got J Rod out there. 
this is hopefully the team that will break that drought and make the playoffs. I think they will, man. Like if you've got Luis Castillo running out there and getting wins over the Yankees and the Bronx, and then you've got Robbie Ray pitching the way he is, and then you also have Logan Gilbert pitching the way he is, um, I think this team is really set up for success. The Wait, Mets. R- real quick, real yeah. quick, Jack. There's something that I don't know why. I don't know if it's maybe some inner Yankees hatred that I have that deep down. I don't know. But I feel like we were talking about Castillo and Montes like head and head, like the whole time. Like these two guys, it's the, it's the same thing. Get either one of them. For some reason, I'm starting to think that Castillo is really a better pitcher here. Like, like, do you think that the Yankees look a lot different if they make the everything's the same, but they get Castillo instead of Montes? I think Castillo is the better pitcher. And I think when we first started diving into the deadline conversation, Two weeks ago, when we started to, you know, even think about Daniel Vogelbach moving from Pittsburgh to the Mets, um, we were looking at Montas as the safe bet as, you know, compared to Luis Castillo, who lower floor, higher ceiling. Um, I think what we've seen from Luis Castillo since that dialogue started has totally shifted the narrative. Yeah. And I think Luis Castillo is electric. I think that a lot of teams were concerned about Frankie Montas's shoulder. And here we are having this conversation. Well, the Yankees, like, I don't know. But, oh, the Mariners got Luis Castillo. I do think it's what you're saying. I think there's some anti-Yankee bias here where we want the Yankees to get the lesser of the two. But at the end of the day, if I have one of them starting a wild card game for me, I think it's probably Luis Castillo because I know that the D-grade Frankie Montas is going to be better than the D-grade Castillo. But the A-grade Castillo... I don't know who's better than that in baseball. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And again, it's just funny because I always looked at them as, as kind of the same pitcher at this deadline. And then, yeah, the last couple starts of the Castillo, um, he's just been so dynamic yet. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. I mean, for all we know, Montes is about to go on an incredible run with the Yankees and he'll, he'll make me eat my words here. But um, just an interesting thought I wanted to point out there. We haven't gotten your thoughts on Tyler Naquin yet. We, we talked a little bit about the the Vogelbach, uh, Darren Ruff platoon, and you mentioned Michael Givens, but Naquin, like, that's a good bench bat to add. I thought it was a decent add. What what did you think when Tyler Naquin became a Met? I saw so many people um, saying, like, who cares? Why? He's a good bench bat. Good teams need bench yeah. bats. To me, it's, it's upgrading over Jankowski. And the bottom line here is if you look at the Mets this year, there was three weak points on this roster all season. It was Dom Smith, J.D. Davis, and Travis Jankowski. Yeah. They've replaced all three of them. That's what they did. Vogel back to replace Dom. You get rough, and you literally trade J.D. in the deal, which made me so happy. I so cannot, happy. So happy. I am so done watching J.D. Davis play baseball. I'll never tune in again. If he's playing against the Mets, I'm going to look away from the TV when he's swinging. I don't want to see it. Uh, but, yeah, that's what they did. And Naquin, to me, um, you know, the one thing that actually concerns me about that pickup is I hope he doesn't eat into Mark Canna's playing time too much. That's the only thing because Canna has reverse splits this year and Buck Showalter can get a little bit like he's so old school with that, where it's just, I'm going to throw my lefty out there against every righty, my righty out there against every lefty. And I don't know if that's the wisest way to go about it. So that's the one thing that I'm a little bit apprehensive of, but I do think that there's no doubt in my mind that Naquin's giving you better at bats than Travis Jankowski. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, Moving to Philly, we'll keep the Phillies really, really brief because I think Dave Dombrowski did a really good job this deadline. 
Brandon Marsh acquired for Logan Ohapi, who is a really good catching prospect, but Marsh is a really good defensive center fielder, and they're hoping that a change of scenery will help him hit a little bit more. Edmundo Sosa was acquired to be the uh, the third middle infielder. He can play short, he can play second. Sosa could probably play elsewhere. Noah Syndergaard was also acquired from the Angels, and then David Robertson also came back. Wild card team, yes or no? It's tough because it's basically them and the Cardinals, right? I, yeah. I feel like at this point, you look at how it stacks up. The Padres, how are they not going to get a wild card at this point, right. right? You look at the Mets and the Braves. One of those teams, whoever's not winning the division, is going to get a wild card. So then it comes down to the Cardinals and the Phillies, I think. And that's an interesting race because the Cardinals, they make the playoffs almost every year. The Phillies, they don't. So yeah. I, I like the moves they made. I, I think they did a good job staying away from the prospects they couldn't deal otherwise it would have set him back too much robertson's a good closer for them i think senegal will give them some good starts they improved their defense i think they did the right thing but i don't i still don't know if i would i would bet on them to make the playoffs i think it's going to come down to the wire it's tough and they have to continue to hit the way that they have hit since joe girardi was fired um and i i think they just have to be better defensively flat out and i think that brandon marsh really helps them yeah. do that they're not catching Atlanta, who's the other top dog with the Mets in the NL East. They added Eddie Andrianza, my king. They added Robbie Grossman, who they're hoping ticks up after a really underwhelming first couple of months in Detroit this year. They also added Jake Odorizzi to the rotation and Rysel Iglesias, who just signed that extension. They're hoping that he uh, respawns as an incredible closer type uh, in Atlanta. I think Atlanta got really good. How scared are you on a scale of one to 10 that they nip the Mets and they win the NL East? Honestly, I don't think the deadline changes it for me. Like, like they made some solid picks up. Pick, I think that they're, they're a little bit overvalued though. Like yeah. I, I heard a lot of people kind of giving the Braves like, Oh, they did it again. The same thing they did last deadline. Yeah, I saw that with Robbie Grossman. It's like, oh, okay. Like he might be really good, but you can't bank on him being Eddie Rosario. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you look at his splits and I mean, great against the lefties this year, he's hitting 360. So that's the one tool he brings to this team that I think really didn't prove um, the roster. But you send out Jesse Chavez in the trade for Iglesias. I know Iglesias is way more dynamic as a reliever and can be a lockdown closer for you. But Chavez was having a good year. So, I mean, the bullpen gets marginally better. Um I think it's it's still, though, to me, I'm more scared of the Braves because of the homegrown talent that's dominating, not the couple ancillary pieces they brought back. It's Michael Harris. It's Austin Riley. It's Dansby Swanson. It's Acuna. It's Contreras and Darno. It's it's that lineup that has been so good since whatever that date is when Harris got called up and they've been yeah. the best team in baseball. That's what scares me. The, the deadline moves to me didn't really do too much. They didn't do too much for me either. I, I think the big one that I'm looking at is Rysel Iglesias because if yeah. Iglesias somehow had a fire lit under his ass, I think we're looking at a, a lights-out bullpen, night shift-type bullpen, even with Luke Jackson being out for the year because you've got Minter um, and you've got Iglesias at the back end that is just incredible. Yeah, Milwaukee got worse. Obviously, they trade Josh Hader for Taylor Rogers and a prospect return. The Nashville sounds look great. Hey, they're leading the International League's West Division. Good on them. They just got a great outfield. But you're in first place in the NL Central. And your moves at the deadline were for Trevor Rosenthal, who's currently on the IL, 
Taylor Rogers, who is in return for the best closer in the game, not named Edwin Diaz right now. Sorry, Fink. And then Matt Bush, who is, you know, a veteran reliever, moved around a little bit. I was hoping the Brewers did a lot more. And the fact that they did nothing offensively kind of put the nail in their coffin for me. Like, they're not real. They're not actually going to contend this year. It, it all comes down to Estuary Ruiz and way too much pressure to put on him. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And honestly, when I look at what they did, I don't think I hate it as much as other people as far as the hater trade. How much more value was he going to – what was it, one more year left after after this? One more year. So he was making, I think, 13 this year. Um, He was going to make around 15 in his final year arbitration this year – or next year, pardon, and then he was going to hit the open market. I feel like they were in a position where they're too good that they just kept on getting into these spots where they couldn't maybe capitalize on that hater trade ship when they maybe should have. And this was kind of a half measure. Say, all right, we'll flip closers. Hopefully that doesn't change us too much. We know we got Devin Williams ready to step into the real closer job anyway. Um, But I do think that if Ruiz ends up being a quality starter for the next six years, which is again, asking a lot, but if that happens, you're going to look back and say that was a good trade. So I feel like there's still a chance this works out for them. I don't think it really like completely knocks them off where now the Cardinals are definitely going to catch them. I think they can still win this division. But yeah, I, I almost think it was them admitting that they're not as good as the other teams in the National League. Maybe that's part of it. You don't think that you're actually going to win a playoff series against the Dodgers, the Mets. Um, you just help the Padres <laughs> and make them even tougher to beat. But, you know, the Braves, I, I think maybe that's part of it. But it's just another move that kind of keeps a team like the Brewers in the middle for, instead of pushing your chips in and trying to go for it. Yeah, the, the guy that I work with with uh, for Indianapolis Indians games, previous guest on this show, Howard Kelman, who's been the voice of the Indians, we, we were talking about it. And he said, I understand that it's a good baseball move, but it would have gone over far better with the fan base and with the team because Devin Williams was outspoken about not liking the move. Um, I, I think he said, I think it would have gone over better with the fan base and with the team if they waited until the offseason to do it. And I'm with you. Yeah. Like, I think that the return would have been a bit diminished. I think that they got a great return for a reliever, but it's Josh Hader and you're a first place team. Last team I want to go over because I'll save uh, I'll save the Dodgers for Javi and I'll uh, let him just praise the Padres for all they're worth. But the Cardinals needed two starting pitchers and they got two starting pitchers. They got one guy who everybody knew was on the move and they got one guy who I think nobody knew was on the move. Um, they got Jose Quintana from Pittsburgh and then they got Jordan Montgomery in that flip for Harrison Bader. Bader was the odd man out in the outfield. Montgomery and Quintana, you just added two really good left-handed pitchers to a rotation. I feel like the Cardinals should be in the driver's seat right now, considering what Milwaukee didn't do and what St. Louis did to win this division. And last year they did what? It was Lester. Who was the other one? Uh, J.A. Happ. <laughs> Lester and J.A. Happ, and it worked. It uh, worked. So now you got two much better pitchers this time around. I think that the team is even looking a little bit better because Goldschmidt's just on a different planet this season. So, yeah, I like the Cardinals a lot. That's why I said, you know, when it comes to the Phillies, like I put my money on the Cardinals over the Phillies right now. And I think that's what it comes down to, which will be a really good race, I think. But they just got the arms that they needed to to really go for it here and, and at least, you know, put the best foot forward to, to try to win this. But the thing is, they also didn't they could have gone nuclear, right? They could have yeah. got Juan Soto. Yeah, so it, it, it still makes it a little bit underwhelming because we, we thought they were in the mix for all these other big names. But 
they always add the right pieces. And for St. Louis, it usually works out. We'll see. Fink, you are the man for joining me. Thank you much. For sure. Now I'm going to let Javi Reyes preach the Padre gospel to me. The amount of texts that I have received from one Javier Reyes trying to get on this fucking show. He's finally on this show. Uh, Javi rejoins us, the king guest, to uh, try and whip me into a Padre frenzy. And this team is one of the most perplexing teams in baseball history. I'm talking like the Murderer's Row Yankees and then A.J. Preller's brainchild, the San Diego Padres, where they spawn a ton of prospects they trade them off for Mike Clevenger and Blake Snell, and then they spawn a bunch more, and they trade them off for Juan Soto, Josh Bell, and Brandon Drury. Drury hit a grand slam in his first at bat. Juan Soto, we were just talking about it before we hit the record button, gave both of us chills. So I'm going to open the floor to you in a moment just to like tell me why I should be in love with this Padre team. But is there an ounce of you, who, as the host of Locked On Padres, as somebody that even though you don't live in San Diego, genuinely loves this team as a real fan of the team. Is there an ounce of you that is like, well, I don't know, maybe AJ Preller is being a little over aggressive. And I think that Abrams could have been good and Hassel could have been good. And James Wood could have been really good. AJ Preller. I need you to remove my eyes and throw them into a gumball machine. I need you to take my arm and use it as an oar the way that uh, the Winklevoss twins were using it in the yeah. social network. Yeah. Here's my thing. I think that a lot of this whole going for it thing, my big thing was I thought they were going to blow up the farm for just soda, which still would have been pretty cool. Yeah. But it's the fact that they also just kind of threw in Josh Bell as a little treat. And then they also got Brandon Drury. And then they also extended Joe Musgrove for a little bit of a hometown discount. Yeah. And then they also traded for Josh Hader, who everyone's pretending is bad now. Yeah. Um, it's all those things combined with the factor that the sport of baseball is in a really weird spot where we are just constantly seeing teams that seem to not care about trying. Yeah. And to an extent, some of them can be forgiven. I think that the San Francisco Giants, they can at least look at their fan base and be like, hey, bro, we won like three titles in 10 years. Like we actually have done it. Yeah, But I'm going to turn my attention, and I mentioned this in my latest article for Just Baseball, that should be coming out soon, that the Milwaukee Brewers, who traded Josh Hader, they are in first place. I think it was Sarah Langs. I forgot who put it out there that there hasn't been a team that's traded an all-star that was in first place uh, in, in like quite a long time. I think Sarah did it. I, I think I did see Sarah tweet that, yeah. It's just... You look at teams like that and you say, oh, well, well, they've been good before. Yeah, they've been good. But it's this idea that baseball has all these teams that are feigning, pretending to compete. The Milwaukee Brewers haven't been to a World Series since like the 80s. And the last time they were in the World Series, I think they're in the American League or something like it's just where do they get off thinking that they can act like they don't need to try. Right. Like this is not one of those teams who, yeah. you know, even the Nationals. They won like three years ago. At least they can go to their fans and be like, hey, but would any of you, like if we told you this was going to happen, but we give you that damn title, would you say yes to that? I think you do. So it's a, combination, yes. it's a combination of all those things that I think makes everybody look at baseball and they're saying, this is the Padres. Ownership deserves a lot of credit. The Sidlers, like they, I thought 
Eric Hosmer, who I'm I'm repping right now yeah, with the OG finally. Slam Diego shirt. I can finally say his name. Like I thought that it would they would need to give up a prospect to get rid of him. And it turns out they were like, you know what? If he's bad, we're gonna eat the salary. And that's what they did. And they sent it to the Boston Red Sox and Heim Bloom, who Colby will just perpetually trust forever, right? You know what I mean? It's yeah. just that's just what his thing is. So for me, it's all those things combined, and you say, This is what the sport needs, man. The sport needs teams that are like, you know, it's fuck you. All right, like this is stupid. I don't care if I missed. All right. Hey, and, and by the way, he still has missed. AJ Perler, I still want him to remove like my my body every single piece and put it together differently like a box of legos yeah but also it, it, he hits on the big ones he he redeemed himself again he redeemed after the 2015 kerfuffle with will myers trade with matt kemp with craig kimball that whole era right don't forget the options yeah yeah he bounces back from that and then he bounces back from the austin nola for ty france and the the Trent Grisham thing that is strangely actually kind of slightly, maybe he's becoming okay lately, uh, yep. but all of that combined, right? Snell and all these things. And he just goes out and says, yeah, you know what? Juan Soto is pretty good. Why not? Yeah. So I don't think anybody is going to, you know, I, I think a lot of people that listen to the show already know my stance on AJ Preller. And, mm-hmm. and my thing is this dude just shoots. He is a high volume shooter. He does not, make at a high volume he's not a high volume shot maker he's a high volume shot taker and he hits more often than everybody else because he takes overwhelmingly more shots than anybody else and there is something deep down in me that really appreciates that my risk averse ass really appreciates that he does that because we can be veiled a little bit i think um aram is guilty of it um, mm-hmm. I think I'm very guilty of it. I think that a lot of other prospect people are really guilty of it and teams that love to see and people that love to see teams build homegrown and win championships, like what St. Louis was doing, right? St. Louis was the king of homegrown talent. The Dodgers, like it or not, kind of the king of homegrown talent. Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of people will look at what A.J. Preller is doing and say, that's careless. That's needlessly aggressive. Like, why are you shipping off the future for the present? Because there's no guarantee that the future happens. Do you remember what Jurex and Profar was going to be for Texas? What he's mm-hmm. been for San Diego so far is really good this year, mm-hmm. but he was supposed to be like a multi-time MVP consensus top prospect in baseball. And he was with Texas. Shit doesn't work out like that, like nearly mm-hmm. ever. So the fact is you're selling the possibility of Robert Hassel and James Wood combining to equal the production of Juan Soto for Juan Soto. Like it is the hundredth percentile outcome for Hassel and Wood that they become Juan Soto. And here you are with that guy already sitting there that you can go get. Um, And I think like it takes me stepping back for a 30,000 foot view to really appreciate that he does that. And he's not shy about doing it. And chances are when the Padres draft well for the next three years, gonna fucking do it again in three years it's what he's gonna do man i mean aj probably probably really loves the movie uncut gems like he probably watched that that's the thing i hate it he loves it i hate it i was kind of like mixed on it sailor should have been nominated for oscar i'll say that much it was i just think that preller like you said a high volume shooter and he's kind of looking at all this and saying we're gonna go for it and yeah we're gonna miss but he doesn't he doesn't stop 
And I think that that's the key part here. You learn from your mistakes. There's something that we can all learn from really is that you don't just stop shooting. You keep going and yeah, you're going to look like an idiot. You're going to ask out that girl in front of the whole class and you're going to look really stupid, but you got to just keep, keep going back, right? Like you just keep going back to the well. And I think that the rest of baseball also has to be reminded that I remember Padres fans DMing me in the off season all the time. They got to sign Castellanos. They got to sign Chris Bryant. And now let me not say, I don't want to pretend that I knew that Chris Bryant and Nick Castellanos were going to be bad, or at least Bryant being hurt and Castellanos performed poorly. If anything, yeah. if you guys had me on the Just Baseball show, I would have said Castellanos is one of my <laughs> Sorry biggest Sorry for not doing it, locks. Chief. <laughs> yeah. I think Castellanos actually would have been one of my biggest locks to be good this year. So I would have been wrong on that. But it was more for me about you just don't know what doors are going to open. Heading into season, heck, let's bring up Brandon Jury. Heading into season, is anyone expecting that guy to be an asset? Not really. Andrew yeah. Benintendi, I know he went to the Yankees and whatnot, yeah, but no. but these things develop, and of course, Soto, right? Yeah, it's like a thing you mention, right? But it, we all mention that. We mention Otani. We freaking mentioned Jeremy Lin going back to the Knicks back in the day, right? Yes. It's, but then when it actually opens up, you know how good it is that you didn't spend all that money on Nick Cassiano? Sometimes the, 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 the now people just don't choose the prospect instead of now when it comes to just like, just wait. Just wait for your opportunity. You don't have to do it right now. And Preller did that. Maybe he knew that there was a potential that Soto was going to ask out. Maybe he knew. But all I know is all of a sudden everyone's back in on AJ Preller. We thought he was on the hot seat. And now Slam Diego is quite literally back. It's so back, dude. And I I saw that Tatis is close to shipping out on a rehab assignment. Mm -hmm. Tatis will be back this year. Hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, he is now – invested enough to not uh, drive recklessly on a motorcycle during the off season. Exactly. We shall see. These are all <laughs> the types of things. So listen, if AJ Preller, if telling him not to ride a motorcycle um, as aggressively as he did, didn't work, maybe you just get Juan Soto and have him tell him not to do it. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And then that might work. The Dodgers and the Padres are running very different races to get to the postseason. Mm-hmm. But once they get to the postseason, they're going to start running the same race again. And here's what the Dodgers did at the deadline. Joey Gallo and Chris Martin. Here's what the Padres did at the deadline. Juan (laughs) Soto, Josh Bell, Brandon Drury, Josh Hader. Who am I missing? I think that's it. And you know what? And they got rid of Eric Hosmer. That's and they very got rid key. of Eric Hosmer. They pretty yes. much just replaced Hosmer with Josh Bell. Um, you also ship Voight off to Washington to complete mm-hmm. that deal. But I mean, like one team just had the craziest trade deadline in existence, and the other team was already the best team in baseball. I think they knew that they didn't have to do anything, so they took a flyer on Joey Gallo and added a sixth-inning guy in Chris Martin. That's a, there, that, that's a different there, deadline. There was a moment when it looked like maybe Pablo Lopez might be an option for them. I think with the Dodgers, it's only a case of if this is this just what they've usually been, which is – incredible for the regular season, but then they have some slip-ups in the postseason. And I will say the big thing about their team is that their best players are kind of offloading that kind of those like sneaky, you know, background pieces like your Chris Taylor's, like your Justin Turner's haven't been all that great this year. Of course, it doesn't freaking matter because they brought in Freddie Freeman. They've got Will Smith. They've got Mookie Betts because again, trust time. Uh, So they've got (laughs) all these really great players and I do think, though, that you have to wonder, hey, maybe in the postseason, are we sure Tony Gonson is going to do it? I don't know. I mean, it could be the beginning, 
right? This could be the beginning of the Tony Gonsolin legend. I don't know. But it could also be Luis Severino, to shout out Peter Apple, when he made his debut in the playoffs all those years ago and just got absolutely torched, right? So we don't know for sure. And all we know is this, man. Hey, the Dodgers, y'all want a little Mickey Mouse ring. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. It was cool. I'm, I'm proud of you. But congratulations. Look, if I had the budget for Avengers Endgame, yeah. Uh, as my team every single year, I would be thrilled if I only got one title in a 60 game season after a worldwide pandemic. So good for the Dodgers. Okay. So two buzzwords that you just mentioned in the last like 30 seconds were budget and Heim. Um, and those are two <laughs> things that I want to talk about with you right now, because okay. AJ Preller does not work within the constraints that Heim Bloom does. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if those are set by John Henry or not, but I think what we're seeing right now, and we talk about it with the Brewers shipping off Josh Hader. Mm-hmm. You know, Milwaukee's a different case than San Diego because, like, obviously the price of living in Milwaukee is is not as high as San yeah. Diego. You're yeah. Like, it is a smaller market, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, you got to play in the financial kiddie pool a little bit. If you are not constrained to the kiddie pool financially, don't spend like you're in the kiddie pool financially. That's my thought mm-hmm. on baseball execs. That's my thought on baseball roster construction. Um, Andrew Friedman is so unbelievably good at what he does in L.A., mm-hmm because he learned how to operate in the kiddie pool. And I've, I've made this analogy before. He learned how to operate in the kiddie pool. And now he was handed the Pacific Ocean and said, use what you think is helpful, but we also have a fuck ton more money than those goons in Tampa. Yeah, exactly. Like that, I think, is what they are saying to AJ Preller. That's what I think Padre's ownership is saying. Like, hey, man, um, I think we know that you can draft and you can develop. You put the right people around to help develop these guys into legitimate baseball players. Now I want you to go use that, use that toolbox to go get a really big fish. And they got the biggest fish ever. Um, And I appreciate that. Like, do you feel like he is actually operating like a big spender, like the San Diego Padres should be? It's it's incredible because it's not like they're known historically as the big budget Padres. This is, that is absolutely not what they are known for, even even in the slightest. Right. Like they're like the 28th media market or something like that. Like they're they're really lower on the tonal pole in a lot of ways. And you just look around the league, look at the state of baseball and you say, you know what, man, I'm just I'm thrilled that we're trying. And if this is a team that had won a lot, I think people might have a different tune. But Padres fans, they're starving. Oh, that brother's starving. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the Denzel uh, clip. Like they're just they're dying for it. And I think that yeah, you have some of these Boston fans where they're like, "Oh, we want sustained success." Well, you've won before, right? For the Padres fans, they're like this team. On t- it's also fun, by the way. I mean, if you just watch Juan Soto hit, you're like, this guy is like doing the limbo every time he's up at the plate. It's really really fun. So I just think it was nuts in the moment. I still haven't fully recovered from it, to be quite honest with you. Um, it's still nuts. I just, I genuinely didn't think that like it could happen. You know what I mean? But I should have thought it could happen. It's just, I think that the, the moment from last year was still like burned into my skull where I was like, I can't, I can't do this again. I can't be hurt again. Right. But it turns out, man, um, don't stop believing because the Padres are fucking back. And and you might be like, you might be burned. That's the thing about baseball. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, I was pissed as a White Sox fan at the deadline, but there's a chance that the White Sox win 10 in a row and the J or in the uh, twins after a great deadline lose eight in a row. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. the division is the White Sox for the taking. That's just how baseball works. So mm-hmm. this doesn't promise anything, but what it does promise is an effort to try and win this year. 
One more baseball related question, one more non-baseball related question. And then we say bye because it's already 11 on the East Coast and I'm tired and I want to go to bed. Um, (laughs) Baseball related question. Can the San Diego Padres win the World Series? I think why the hell not? Uh, I think that one of the big things about this team is that, like I said, there was more than one piece. We talked about it already, but the starting rotation, I personally really do believe that you Darvish has been, well, not an, uh, he's not an underrated player because he still has that name value, but I do think that this season has been a little bit overlooked by a lot of people. He's been so solid. Yes. The strikeout rate is down. I get that, but walking less batters and lasting longer into games, I'll take it from a dude who's just getting up there in age And then they have Joe Musgrove and then they have Mike Clevenger who looks like a fireballer lately. So you have the rotation, you have hater to close out games. You could have some guys come back in the bullpen, like Drew Pomeranz, like your Pierce Johnson, guys like that, even Robert Suarez that can help alleviate the bullpen that actually hasn't even been all that terrible. just hasn't been great. And then you have the offense and you have, I think it matters that Juan Soto is going to be like, man, I already, I won this before. Like I'm used to this. Uh, I think that it kind of matters that you're going to have these players on this team. You're going to have Bob Melvin there that they can go out and beat anybody. Could they lose to anybody? Of course, because that's the baseball playoffs. I just made fun of the Dodgers, right? Of course, they could go out and lose to the Brewers and I'll hate myself and whatnot or the Cardinals. But I think that they can win. And I think that they had the big game guys. I would be most afraid of the Mets personally. Uh, I know that the Dodgers you should be more afraid of. But personally, again, bring up the playoff thing. But I just, everyone's brought it up. I just, the the nightmare of a DeGrom Scherzer uh, back-to-back is just really, really horrifying. And then Carlos Carrasco is just chilling. Same thing with Chris Bassett. So, like, if they need them to, they can be pretty good, too. And then... uh, That's what would really worry me. If if, if I'm the Padres, that would be the team that I'd be probably fearful of the most. And Atlanta's great. Don't get me wrong. Atlanta's great. Philadelphia is pretty good too. I like what they did at the deadline considering they were they a little did. bit. Yeah. They were kind of hamstrung, but they, they brought in a bunch of these players that I think it help out. So shouts to the Phillies. Um, it's going to be nuts. I can't wait for the playoffs. And the last time the Padres were in the playoffs, Dodgers fans, they love mentioning, Oh, they swept them. Congratulations. All right, cool. How about if we play you again, you don't have Gonsolin and you don't have Kershaw. And then you can just c- keep complaining. Oh, Oh, we didn't have our touch. Neither did we. So Nelson Lamette's in Milwaukee right now. He just got DFA. He just got DFA in Milwaukee. That's how bad. Like, so that matters. If everything remains right, if everybody's healthy and whatnot, then I think the Padres have a shot. And I think that that's what they're they're counting on. And Soto's, this isn't only a half-year rental. You still could be competitive next year. Yeah. So that's one nice thing about this is that it doesn't feel like it's 1,000 million percent. You're, you're in, but you're not 1,000 million percent in. Yeah, so the the way that I heard it best was you have Juan Soto for three Octobers, which I clicked in a different way than two and a half years of control clicked for me, right? Because you hear that, man. (laughs) It hits different because, yes, you obviously have him for the next, you know, two months of the regular season. You've got him for the 2023 season and the 2024 season before you got to pony up and pay him. And I'm not putting it past San Diego to pony up and pay Juan Soto. I'm really not. Um, but the way that it clicked differently for me was you've got three shots with Juan Soto and three shots is a lot more than one simple math. Before we go, Javi is the co-host with me on the state of the American league central. And at the end of each of those episodes, by the way, go listen to the state of the state of the division podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's part of the just baseball network. Um, at the end of each 
AL Central episode that we will do, we will give you a recommendation, non-baseball related, about absolutely anything. I'll go first. I'll let your brain uh, just kind of wander to what you got to recommend to somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how bougie and highbrow this is, um, but at Whole Foods, Milk Bar has Mm -hmm. a chocolate, chocolate mint cookie ice cream or something like that um whole foods they their their deal with milk bar um it just says like milk in cursive on the carton it's green mm-hmm. and it says like chocolate mint cookie it is so far and away the best store-bought ice cream i have ever had in my entire life i swear to god it is absolutely incredible i can't recommend it uh more it is insane what's your recommendation Interesting, because I see like a bunch of pink ones and whatnot. I, I'm gonna check this. Out. I've probably seen it before, but never thought of it. As a, I'm sure as you a Ben have. and Jerry's, you know, fanboy. Uh, yeah, and whatnot, no, but- like I was too. Listen, I'm a screaming liberal, so I like Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> I'm totally here for it. <laughs> I am Absolutely. King Lib. Absolutely, man. We're hippies out here. Um, my recommendation. Look, I part of me wanted to say the Black Panther trailer, but it's been a few weeks. I've watched that thing like a bajillion times. Yeah. Instead, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the food recommendation if you're on the west coast which you might be if you're listening to this especially yeah. and you you're saying maybe you're in the middle you know middle of the country not only are we national we chart exceptionally well in germany we're global really oh, oh wow we, look we at those chart folks. so well in germany <laughs> look at those folks man shouts <laughs> to them i'm gonna recommend something and even if you're in jersey i just it's it's gonna sound crazy i might even get canceled for this jack to be perfectly honest with you i might get roasted for this good we don't have to invite you back that's great <laughs> domino's pizza specifically you get the honey barbecue sauce when you're ordering the thing and then you put the pineapple and the philly cheesesteak on it as your toppings look first of all i mean this thing i actually do this take i stand by which is that domino's is like triple s tier drunk food like I, i really do believe that but regularly I just randomly, like three months ago, was like, what, what am I doing? I'm bored. And <laughs> just didn't feel like it, whatever. Uh, even though I could have just asked my mom what we could have for dinner or whatever. But <laughs> I got this. There's just something about it. I might be on to something or I might be an idiot. And you guys are going to have this and be like, why don't you just go to your local pizza place? Don't view it as a pizza. View it as a food. That would be my recommendation. And just try it out. The honey barbecue sauce thing with the Philly cheesesteak and the pineapple. I'm not... I'm not one of those people who's going to do the is pineapple on pizza. Or like you guys are on the internet too much. Get a new personality trait. It doesn't matter. Like relax. Classic is book, yes, nerds. plain or pepperoni. Yeah, that's yeah. classic. That's like original. But there's a difference between original versus like what is allowed. Yes. Like, relax, dude. The caps are melting. Have what you want. <laughs> Man. All right. I love it. Um, Javier Reyes, thank you for joining me to uh, spread the Padre gospel and the uh, the, the Domino's specialty order. Get us um, on YouTube. Go get your Just Baseball merch. We got a whole bunch of necessary links in the episode description. Uh, Peter, Aram, and myself will be back to talk big winners and trade grades tomorrow. So talk to you guys then.